seated, turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. This morning I want you to look with me at verse number 7. Hebrews 11, verse number 7. The Bible says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Now, we've been for the last three weeks speaking to you on the subject of faith. Faith is not just important, faith is absolutely essential. A person cannot be saved apart from faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have talked about two or three others in this passage here because... This 11th of Hebrews is loaded with that by faith, by faith, by faith. And uh, we've been studying this now, as I said, for about three weeks. Let me bring you up to date. In the 11th chapter, verse 6, it teaches the essentiality of faith. Notice what it says, without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Five very important things there. One, unsaved people cannot please God. I want to state that again. Unsaved people cannot please God. If you are here today or on our internet broadcast, you say, well, I, I really think the Lord is pleased because I made out a check for $1,000. No amount of money you'd ever give God would please Him without faith. Everything is hinged on this word faith. Second of all, salvation is coming to God. It's not doing the best you can and being as faithful as you ought to be, but it's coming to God and realizing you're a sinner and trusting the Lord to have mercy upon you. Number three, one must believe that He is the only God. Not one of many gods and not a God of your choosing, but the God of the Bible. Number four, one must believe He will save those coming to him. God is delighted to save sinners when they come to Him. And number five, one must diligently seek Him. There's a Greek word there from which we get our word to crave. To crave. One must diligently crave. He must be priority. He must be number one. Everything else has to take a back seat to seeking the Lord. Faith is essential. I gave you the definition of faith. Faith is believing what God says and acting like it. 
If an individual says, I believe in the Lord, but you do not act like it, you really don't believe in the Lord. It, it does, when you believe in the Lord, it changes you. It changes your appetite. It changes your desires. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. And then in the past two or three weeks, we've been giving you some examples of faith. They're listed for you right there on uh, this 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, verse number 4. By faith, Abel, notice, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. We talked about Abel as a person who had faith to worship God. And it is evidence from the fact that he offered God an animal sacrifice, which was necessary as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come in the New Testament and lay down his life for sinners. Abel had faith to worship. To worship. It takes faith to worship. If you do not believe that, may I ask this, why do you worship? And who do you worship? If you can worship one thing as good as another thing, why not do that? No, you have to worship. Faith is worship. Second of all, he gives us in verse number 5, an example of Enoch. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. And you remember the counter-reference on that was Genesis 5.24. Enoch walked with God. Abel worshipped God. Enoch walked with God. And both did it by faith. And today in verse number 7 we'll see that Noah, who had faith to work for God. Do you not see that? By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. He did something about his faith. It's believing what God says and acting like it. Whereas Enoch had faith to walk with God, incidentally he walked with him for 300 years according to the book of Genesis. Noah had faith to work for God by building an ark. You see, faith and works go hand in hand. I hope you're not one of those Baptists who believe that we're saved by grace and nothing else in the world enters into the picture. No, you have to read the epistle of James. And if you do that, you find that Paul and James shook hands on this thing. When we have faith in the Lord, it provides and provokes us to worship and to work and to walk with God. Faith is believing what God says and acting like it. Faith and works go hand in hand. We're not saved by our works, but I'll tell you, we work because we have been saved. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10, we are His workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which the Lord hath before ordained that we should, what? Walk in them. you got faith and works joining hands there. And in the book of James, chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 17, it says this, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Will you show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Now there are four reasons why the study of Noah and his faith is up to date. It's one of the most up-to-date studies, I believe, in the Word of God. The study of Noah who built an ark many hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Let me give you four reasons why this study of Noah is update and faith that he ex- 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 exercised was up faith and important. Number one, Noah lived in a day of grace. Noah lived in a day of grace. Genesis chapter 6 verse number 3 says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In Noah's day, the door of salvation was open for 120 years. It took Noah 120 years to build an ark. And it was a time of grace. It took Methuselah 969 years to die. And the flood could not come until Methuselah died. The days of Noah were a day of grace. And you and I live in a day of grace. My dear friends, it's astounding to me that we have the means of transmitting the gospel today to people all over the world. Christ, it is as though he was advertising that when he said, go into all the world. How in this world could a little handful of disciples go into all the world? I tell you, we can go into all the world today and preach the gospel to every living creature. Noah lived in a day of grace, and so do we. Second of all, Noah found grace before exercising faith. Now, we're going to have you turn to Genesis chapter 6 because many things we're saying are going to be founded in that section of God's Word. But in Genesis chapter number 6, notice verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Please notice the time element there. He did not strike a nail or a peg to build the ark. 
until he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Okay? All the rest of the things that you see Noah doing, building the ark, going into the ark, gathering all the animals, he did not do any of that until, first of all, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We need never forget this. Before grace comes, there's nothing. Before grace comes, there's nothing. Not even faith. Faith is the result of regeneration and not the cause of regeneration. You do not trust the Lord Jesus Christ to be born again. You trust the Lord Jesus Christ because you have been born again. Noah found grace before exercising faith. He didn't do a thing in the world until first of all he found grace. Thirdly, Noah lived and worked in a day of terrible apostasy. You cannot read Genesis chapter 6 without seeing that over and over and over again. We live in a day of spiritual apostasy. It was a dark spiritual hour for Noah. And it is for us today. In Genesis chapter 6 verse number 8. It says Noah found grace though in the eyes of the Lord in spite of that apostasy. In that sixth chapter of Genesis verse number 5. And God saw when God looked down as it were in Noah's day. When God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. That word, every imagination, it is the mental framing which projects mental images. The mental framing... It is not just our bodies that get us into trouble. It is our thoughts that get us into trouble. It is when a man no longer is faithful to his wife, but he visualizes somebody else that he knows, and he starts making mental pictures of what it would be like if that woman were my wife. The wickedness of man is a thing of the heart. And it not only went on in Noah's day, but it goes on in our day as well. You can compare what we just read in Genesis 6-5 with 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'll read that to you. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. (laughs) Have you ever seen a time when men love themselves more than they love themselves right now? And if you want to ask a man, who do you love? He'll say, I love me. Lovers of their own selves. They will be, in the last days, they'll be covetous. They'll be boasters. They'll be proud. 
They'll be blasphemers. They will be disobedient to parents. They will be unthankful, unholy. Put your seatbelt on. Without natural affection, it will be a perverted affection. Men loving men and women loving women. And I'm so grateful for all the amens on that. When's that going to happen? In the last days. What do you think's happening today, ladies and gentlemen? False accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, <laughs> heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. I repeat, Noah lived in a terrible time of apostasy and so do we. And fourthly, Noah lived and worked at the end of an age or the end of a dispensation. And so do we. In Genesis 6 verse 17. And behold I. God is speaking. Even I. Do bring a flood of waters upon the earth. To destroy all flesh. Wherein is the breath of life. From under heaven. And everything that is in the earth. Shall die. In Noah's day, God said, I'm going to bring a flood of water to kill the entire human race. In the day you and I are living, my dear friends, our dispensation is soon coming to an end. I do not know how much further in sin and debauchery and perversion that we can go until all judgment breaks out. I've never seen such mess as you and I are in today. Our homes are splitting right and left. You can't trust the school systems anymore. You can't trust a whole lot of churches today. Everything's going to pieces. We're coming close to an end. Only God's not going to destroy the world with water again. And I'm pleased to know that. Somebody said recently, Brother Cozart, in the midst of all this rain, what do you think we ought to be doing? I said building an ark. Yes, sirree. But he's not going to destroy it with water the next time, dear friends. According to Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. 2 Peter chapter number 3, verses 10 through 12. Let me read that for you. The Bible says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all things like this shall be dissolved, What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, 
looking for and hasting under the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Pastor, do you believe that? With all of my heart, I believe that. It's going to happen. There are not too many people who understand that. There is a certain plank of a certain party in politics today that all they want to talk about is global warming. Honey, you ain't seen nothing yet. Now having said that, I want to give a little time to the purpose of the judgment in Noah's day. The purpose of the judgment. I want to give you three causes for God destroying the world with water in Noah's day. And as it was in the days of Noah, shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. The only difference being... It was water in Noah's day. It'll be fire in our day. Let's look at Genesis chapter 6. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, And they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping things, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. Well, he kind of emulated Enoch, didn't he? Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. The earth was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, and the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. 
the purpose of God's judgment of the world in Noah's day with water. Number one, there was a sexual union between the sons of God and the daughters of men producing a mongrel society. Sexual perversion, ladies and gentlemen. Sexual perversion. Who are these sons of God who married the daughters of men? Quite frequently you will find in reading certain commentaries and talking to some believers today that they believe it was when the Sethites married the Canaanites. Now, you stay with me. Who were the Sethites? Cain killed Abel, his brother. It was Abel through whom the Messianic seed would be carried until the New Testament. But Cain killed his brother and he could no longer be that seed carrier. Adam and Eve came together and had another son. And his name was Seth. And Seth took that place of being the seed through which the Christ would come. They were called Sethites. Cain was a very reprobate and wicked individual. His children were called the daughters of men. And those who hold to this position say it was the Sethites, we would call them Christians, sons of God, cohabiting with the daughters of men, the Canaanites, an unequal marriage. Now, if you follow that line of reasoning, my dear friend, you run into some problems. First of all, if you say the sons of God are the Sethites and the daughters of men were the Canaanites, then all the women are going to go to hell, huh? And only the men are going to be saved who come through Seth. And I don't think you'd particularly like that too much. Sons of God, every place it is used in the Old Testament refers to the angels of God. Everywhere. And these angels had cohabitation with women on this earth. And that cohabitation produced an ungodly monstrosity of people being born. And it was sexual perversion. 
Now, as I said to begin with, there are some who hold to that theory. That it's Sethites marrying Cainites. Quite frankly, I believe the scripture means exactly what it says. The sons of God came unto the daughters of men. Angelic beings that had fallen from God's presence in heaven when he kicked the devil out. And all the followers of Satan followed their leader, Lucifer, and were cast out of heaven. And they were cast out on this earth. They cohabited with the daughters of men. Before we go any further, this position I'm preaching to you today was held by Martin Luther. He believed the sons of God were the angels of God, the fallen angels of God. I love to read Arthur Pink. (laughs) Arthur Pink is a strong believer in the angels of God being the sons of God here. And then much to my joy, I was reading John MacArthur. And John MacArthur holds to this very tenet that these sons of God were angels of God. Why would you say that? Because first of all, everywhere sons of God are mentioned in the Old Testament, it refers to angels of God with one exception. And I want to be fair in saying that with one exception, and I'll get to that exception in a minute. Take a moment, if you would, please, to turn over to the book of Job. book of Job comes before the book of Psalms. Book of Job, chapter 1, verse number 6. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord, saying, From going to and fro in the earth, and walking up and down in it. Now, the sons of God, as recorded in Job, most clearly teach they were angels. They lined up before the Lord, and the devil lined up with them. He too was an angel, a fallen angel, but he was an angel. In chapter number 2, verse 1, Again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself Before the Lord. In the 38th chapter of the book of Job, verse number 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now he's not talking about believers in Jesus Christ shouting for joy. He's talking about angels shouted for joy. All you have to do is to read the context of the 38th chapter of the book of Job. And God asked Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I laid the measures thereof? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? When the morning stars sang together, it wasn't the choir at the last Baptist church, it was singing there, it was the angels of God. 
And wherever you find that terminology, the sons of God, in the Old Testament, it refers to the angels of God, except one exception. And it is in the book of Hosea. You don't have to turn to it. I would encourage you to look, at least jot it down so you can look at it later and read the context of it. Hosea chapter 1, verse number 10. Yet... The Bible says, The number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. It will come to pass in that place where it was said unto them, You are not my people. There it shall be said unto them, You are the sons of the living God. And notice verse 11 says, Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together. They haven't been gathered together since they were split in Solomon's day. Judah stayed south. Israel went north. And finally, because of the Samaritan assault on the Israelites, Israel was dispersed all over the world. But there's coming a day... When Judah and Israel shall be joined as one tribe unto God again. And they'll be called at that time the sons of God. Now I'm talking about being called now in the Old Testament the sons of God. Came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair And they took them wives of all they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he shall his flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that. When was that, dear friend? When the sons of God came unto the daughters of men. A monstrosity of births took place. If it was just a matter, dear church, of a Christian marrying a non-Christian, why in the world is not their offspring a monstrosity? It goes beyond that. It goes to sexual perversion. Sexual perversion. Why would the devil do this? To destroy the concept of of the messianic seed. And God thwarted it by sending a flood that would destroy the whole world. Now you and I, whether you know it or not, I want to tell you whether you are aware of it or not, we're living in a day when men are no longer men and women are no longer women, and you can't say mama anymore, and you can't say papa anymore, and you can't do the tango anymore, and on and on and on. A bunch of junk and a bunch of garbage. And it's put out by people whose hearts and minds are sexually perverted. There will be a tremendous demonstration of that before the end of time. Lester Roloff, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, he preached a sermon on the 
predominant sin before the Lord comes back. And he dealt with the subject of sodomites and homosexuals. And do you know what? Lester was right. Lester was right. Today, my dear friends, it is a terrible, terrible time to live in. And a terrible thing when even ungodly men want ungodly teachers to teach lies in a classroom to educate our little boys and our little girls that there's no difference between you. Hmm? So, one reason for the flood was sexual perversion. Sexual perversion. I've got to do this. First Peter and Second Peter. Can you turn over that real quick? By now you probably think I'm crazy. First Peter chapter three verses eighteen through twenty. First Peter. Wasn't planning on doing this. You can see because I didn't have my Bible already turned to it, but it'll be worth reading when you get there. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 20. Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which, that is, by which Spirit? His Spirit. He also went and preached to the spirits in prison. Which sometime tells us who these spirits were that were in prison. That Christ in his spirit left his body in the grave for three days and three nights and visited this place and preached to these spirits. He tells us who they are in verse 20. Which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Now, Second Peter, I can find that one real easy. Turn my page. Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, and he certainly did not, did he? Remember when Satan said, I will ascend above the high God, I will make myself as God. And when Satan was kicked out, the angels, the fallen angels were kicked out with him. If God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved under judgment. Now, while I've got your interest... Look over at Jude, that's the little book of the threshold of Revelation, verses 6 through 7. Look at verse uh, 6. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation... He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness under the judgment of the great day. When those angels were cast out, 
He didn't lock them all up. He put some of them behind bars in the penitentiary called in this place Tartarus. But he didn't put all of them there. And the ones that he did not put there are demons today who have access and liberty to roam about possessing people and doing ungodly things. But there were some of these unseen, these angels, that were locked up. Why would he lock some of them up and not lock all of them up? Because the ones he locked up were the sons of God committing adultery or fornication with the daughters of men, and God punished them by this penitentiary holding place. So one purpose for the judgment of God was sexual perversion. Do you think we'll get out any lighter in our day and time? You think maybe God just kind of winks at it today and says, well, boys will be boys. No, I don't think so. And you know, you got a Bible, believe what it says. Secondly, the second reason for the flood was the total moral corruption of mankind. The total moral corruption of mankind. Look at verse number 5 of Genesis 6. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And look at verse number 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was, what? Filled with violence. Now, we have a technical name for it. It doesn't sound quite that bad. It's called defunding the police. A better way to describe it is lawlessness. Ungodly lawlessness and violence. Twice that word violence is used. In verse number 11, filled with violence. And then in verse number 13, for the earth is filled with violence. By the way, when's the last time you were in Seattle? When's the last time you were in Austin? When's the last time you were in certain parts of Dallas, Texas? And only by the grace of God, my dear friends, it's going to move into Tyler, Texas. And it will be accepted by the multitudes and even churches will have people of that persuasion to fill their pulpits and guide their service while you got a bunch of dumb Baptists that don't read the Bible enough to know what's going on. Total moral corruption of mankind. And the third reason for the flood, first one is sexual perversion, second one is moral corruption of mankind, and the third 
is the numerical, numerical reduction of the saved and the numerical increase of the ungodly. It started off with Adam and Eve in the garden. But as you study from Adam and Eve, as the population began to grow and develop, more and more were haters of God than those who love God. And it got so bad there was just a small number of redeemed ones. By the way, his name was Noah, who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and his wife, and their three sons, and their wives. Eight people out of the whole population were spared because of the numerical reduction of the saved and the increase of the ungodly. Don't don't you remember when God was approached by Abraham and he had told Abraham he's getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham said, wait a minute, Lord, before you do that, suppose you find 50 righteous people down there. If you can find 50 people in Sodom and Gomorrah, would you save those cities? Lord said, I'll do it. And you study the 19th of Genesis, you'll find that to be so. Well, now what about 45, Lord? If you had 45, and he just continues to bargain with the Lord. What about 15? If there are 10 people down there that are saved, but the, the reduction of the saved and the increase of the godly. That's why God poured fire out on Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm. God cannot tolerate sin. Judgment's coming. Sin must be punished. This element is left out of today's evangelism, is it not? It's been replaced with a mushy, sentimental, rice crispy God who loves everybody and everything. Read your Bible, study your Bible. Faith is believing what God says and acting like it. Now, when you do that, you're going to be different. I promise you, you're going to be different. I was accused of being cracked and have been accused of being cracked. Brother Kozart, he's gone off the deep and he, he just cracked. But I thank God that's where the light came in. Through the crack. If you believe your Bible, you stand on that. And don't you give an inch. As it was in the days of Noah. It'll also be. One other thing and I'll close quickly. Uh, I have several things here. I have more to talk about than, than I have time to talk about them. The work of faith is to obey the voice of God, however contrary to human reason it may seem. Have you ever stopped to realize none of this thing that God was telling Noah made a whole lot of logic? First of all, God said, guess what? It's going to rain. And Noah said, what's rain? He said, well, it's going to be frost. No, he says it's going to be rain. Never had rain before. He said, I want you to build an ark. 
And Noah said, well, that's a wonderful thing. What's an ark? I want you to make this boat with no steering and no sails and no rudder. How in the world are we going to guide that thing? Don't worry about that. I give the orders, God says. You're going to be living, Noah, among a circus of animals with no restrooms. Come on. You think all that made sense to Noah? And he said, I'll give you five months food supply to keep everybody alive in the ark. Five months. Nothing that God said logically made sense, but God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I imagine there were a few cackles that went up. Noah, what are you doing today? I'm building an ark. Well, what's an ark? I have no idea, but I'm building it. Huh? Can we be children in faith to the point that if our parents tell us to do something, let's do it because they know better than we do? If God tells us to do something, let's do it because He knows better than we do. There's one other verse, and I share it with you. In the book of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. I think that history is being rewritten in our generation. And all you have to do is to read about the faith that Noah had when as far as logic was concerned, it didn't make any sense at all. And he certainly had to do it by himself. He had to build it by himself. 120 years. But you know what? As soon as he got it built, God should come into the ark. I'm stopping. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the time that we've had.